Welcome to Arena Athletes, your home for MTG Arena Strategy. Step inside the digital arena with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Brought to you by Face to Face Games. You're listening to Arena Athletes number 127. You can be my Oko Ono. My name is David Sville. I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. Um, how did your Caster Cup go? Should I be asking that question? I'd, I'd love to talk about it in more detail, and we'll get there. Uh, but let's just say I matched my record from the previous one. Ooh. That's, uh, I mean, at least you didn't get any worse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how's your How's your release week been for Throne of Eldraine? It's actually been really good. I haven't gotten to play as much as I wanted to um, because I covered the tournament as, and that started, the fandom tournament started as soon as this went live. Like there was an hour to get and a mad scramble for everybody to get the cards and then show up for the event. It went off mostly without a hitch, although we did bump into one bug, which was a little disappointing. Two players got stuck in sideboarding and were not able to get out, even with closing the client and restarting their computers. Um and, and then I played all day Friday prepping for this. Sadly, I didn't find my deck until I was about six hours in. Um, so I think there's a few things I could have done better as far as the deck goes. But I'm excited to talk about those because I do think we've got a good deck here. Um, but that, like, I guess my prep was playing about eight hours of standard and then playing the, the two rounds today. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was quite something to see, like, fandom put on two, you know, pretty serious tournaments even though they're a small number of players like they put up a pretty good prize pool for both of those and it was pretty cool to see that we've had major quote-unquote major arena tur- arena tournaments or at least major spectacles mm-hmm. in the first couple of days of the format i think that's really cool is it safe to say and maybe i'm overstating it here but it seems to me that with arena like you you see an instant metagame probably something that we've never seen before even when we had magic online because there's just so many more players and it's the barrier to entry is so much lower compared to Magic uh, Magic Online. It feels like to me that we see almost an instant meta like we've never seen before. I think that's the case because card availability doesn't really matter as much on Arena if you've prepared for rotation. Like, I had tons of wild cards waiting for me to, you know, craft my new decks. So it's like, just decide what you want to play, click craft, let's go. And you saw that happen. Like everybody that participated in that tournament was ready for that too. And I imagine a lot of our listeners were as well. So you might have that issue. I, I can remember on Magic Online when you'd have the pre-release, some of those cards were going for 30 or 40 tickets and you knew they were going to calm down. But it was like, if you wanted the deck right now, you were going to pay through the nose for it. And on Arena, that's just not the case. You just click the buttons, craft your cards, you're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, it. You know, we, we do talk about how like you know the need for wild cards does suck and it, it sucks like you're you know the the inexpensive in real life rares are cost the same as an expensive one on on arena and things like that but it sure is nice to be able to know that you know i just got to go buy six packs if i if i don't have any wild cards and i can get whatever i want um i think that's really cool so it's it's really interesting to see how fast the meta evolves and how people can just jump right in and play so you know for for all the t- the hits you know we give to arena every once in a while about limited like they've got standard down pretty much on lockdown i think it's in a really good place right now but 
I think it is too. And I've kind of come to the place on my stream and it mentally where I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of going to be done complaining. And I, I want you to hold me to this throughout the podcast. And when you pop on the stream, like, yeah, limited could be better, but you know what? They're knocking it out of the park on standard. Let's focus on that. Let's enjoy that. Um, and one day we'll get limited too, and I'll be happy to play that too. Yes. Now I unfortunately didn't play a bunch of didn't play much for sealed this week. Uh, we did do the preview event though, which was a lot of fun. Thanks to Wizards for the invite to both of us. You did the stream during the day. I did my stream during the evening. Um, what kind of decks did you end up playing, and what are your like super quick highlights of of your limited experience on that day? Uh, and then I think we'll go into more detail on a on an episode next week. I think I managed to get in three drafts. We drafted relatively slowly. Um, I ended up having two dual color decks and one mono colored deck. And the mono black deck was really, really bad. It looked good and played poorly. Um, but just my experience was something similar to what we thought was that it's a format full of two for ones. So trying to get extra two for ones or even three for ones seemed to be where the value was at. Yeah, adventures are super sweet. Um, obviously, like every adventure that is drawing you a card as you cast it, like there's some pretty cool things. Um, I ended up playing three sealed events, but I one of them was really short because it was just a deck building experience before the stream went live and I only played a couple of games. Um, had a perfect run, uh, or maybe with one loss, with um, white-black, which was really good. Just like white-black solid removal spells and kind of thing. Like that was a pretty easy sealed build. And then I tried like a white wet right white red weenie deck that just fell flat on its face so um i'm not a huge fan of two ones in the format it felt like there was a lot of one threes that were blocking them but uh that could just be small sample size that was one thing i noticed throughout the day is and i, I played some sealed and i played draft and both formats felt very slow mm -hmm. like it's there there wasn't really an aggro deck and that may be the issue with the mono black deck that i drafted was it was trying to be somewhat aggressive i was like okay i'm never gonna have color screw so let's try to be a little aggressive and it just kind of fell flat completely got into a lot of board stalls so maybe we're not so worried about two mana tutus um and i can back off of that stump speech for a little bit um, and we're more interested in cards that can break a board stall. So like flyers seemed even more important than normal. And games that I lost were usually a flyer hit me for four turns and I couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, I think that's what it felt like to me too, is that my two drops just didn't do anything. And quite frequently, I would be much happier if they would have been a three drop. Um, or an adventure card that I could do something with on turn two and then something with later in the game or something like that. So you, I, I think that's what I was looking at. There was this thing, too, because I had a couple of builds that had the Falmir Knight, and I had it in my hand on turn one. And I was like, okay, I know how this works. If I can cast it on turn one, I should probably cast it on turn one and, you know, go ahead and get in a couple damage and then trade the card off. And that's not true. If you have a Falmir Knight in your opener, it's not a one drop. You, you need to cycle it for the value and then play it again. And I, I don't think I necessarily appreciated that initially, that like all of the adventure cards, even if you can cast the creature side for cheaper, and even if it seems like it's going to be a good idea to do that, from the experience that I had, you don't want to do that. You have to get the value off of the cards. Um, and I, I think that was a really interesting design and a really interesting thing to learn. Because I was like, you know, one mana, one, one on turn one is okay adjacent. I can get in two points of damage and trade it off. That sounds great. It's not good enough. I'd rather just draw the card and then trade it off. I think the problem with that card specifically is that it's generally going to be blocking something that already went on an adventure of its own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not it's not a one, one for one, right? You're two for one in yourself when you just play it. 
Yeah, exactly. I think when I, that's a good point. I think when I put that in my curve, I'm going to tuck it in the four drop spot most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did get to live the dream with um, the malevolent noble, the the two drop that sacks things to put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Hodor. And yeah. And the, uh, and the broom. <laughs> I, I got into a board stall and like, it's funny cause that wasn't the point of the deck, but I kind of put the broom in there as like a lark. It's like, Oh, I have some food. I have like a couple of malevolent, malevolent nobles. Maybe I'll get there. Right. Like maybe I will, um, maybe I'll make this happen. And then I just got locked into a board stall with somebody where I had a broom, a noble and like eight mana. And it's like, okay, you know, sack of food to start the chain you know, make a couple of brooms, sack a broom, make a couple of brooms, sack a... And it got to the point where my opponent had to deal with the noble specifically. Um, and so they're using their premium removal, obviously, on my two-drop that has accrued a lot of value to this point. And I was able to recur it. I was able to, like, you know, bounce it. Or they... Uh, I think they tapped one down with the uh, the claustrophobia. And I'm still able to just sacrifice things. So eventually I got to 11 mana and started making three brooms a turn. And... Um, you know, it was a long grindy game and we got there in the end. It was like, I'm done. I'm done with this format. I did. I've done everything I wanted to do. <laughs> the only thing I, I regret was not having the, what is it? Fantasia soundtrack playing in the background as I'm making all of these brooms. Yeah. That, that, uh, sequence sounds like a clean sweep. Uh, yes, yes. I, uh, certainly clean my opponent opponent's clocks. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we, so I did the pre-release as well this weekend, the paper pre-release, like I always do with my with my daughter. Um, that was a ton of fun. I brought two new players, and um, they'd never been to a to a, a tournament before. And one of them opened a, I figure about a hundred and twenty dollars in value in their in their pre release pool. Um, alternate art, uh, brazen borrower, regular brazen borrower, and a foil rankle, um, amongst some other cards as well. And so I think I've got them hooked on Magic: The Gathering. So it is about the gathering, and I have added two new people to the uh to the to the tournament pool in the in the local area here highlights of the night so we played white black knights which was really good i played uh blue black or blue red uh card draw which was pretty okay like it wasn't great i had a fay of wishes so the low light of the night this is like i can't believe this happened to me i had an opener with all islands and blue spells and maybe like one red spell so i'm like oh of course i keep had a fay of wishes all of my card draw were were red spells like everything i drew was red spells so i get to the point where i'm a four four blue sources and i have a fave wishes so i'm like i'm gonna go to my sideboard and get a mountain so i can play these red spells like i got a handful of red spells now i'm i'm losing on board kayla's flooding out she just got a spell countered so she played a, a spell and her opponent hard countered it uh he had like one blue mana left open or something like that i'm like all right i'm gonna go to my sideboard get a mountain make my land drop pass the turn and we're back in this game he force spiked me. Force spiked you? He played the one mana counter spell if this counters a blue spell. <laughs> Unless they can pay two or four or something like that. I don't care because I was like, I forgot that was a card in this set. Yeah. Of course you're playing it in two-headed giant. I forgot it was a card. I didn't draw a mountain for the rest of the game. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. Although I I did get to live the dream with Fay of Wishes. I did get to go to my board and get the um the the four mana sorcery that lets you look at your opponent's hand and steal a card from their hand or graveyard. Mm-hmm. Not main decking it because I'm not playing like twelve blue sources, but 
I had four balloon play. I'm like, sweet, I'm going to go get that. So I got to do that twice. I think that was pretty cool with Fave Wishes. So Fave Wishes was an interesting card for me in Tuita Giant. Um, it's, I imagine it'll be just as good in, in draft, assuming you have a decent sideboard. It's pretty cool to be able to just go and get whatever you need at the time, even though if it's in your sideboard, like you might have like terrible counter spells or you might have like five mana removal that didn't make your main deck. It's pretty cool to have that flexibility with that card. I, I already had, now this never got to come together and I didn't actually get to finish the draft because the cutoff time was happening, but I had a Fae of Wishes in a deck with one of the mana elves that could tap for any color. So it's like, if I happen to have that in play, I can go get anything I want and have a fun time. Uh, so like, I, I I already got to experience how much fun that card could be, although I never got to do it because the draft wrapped up too fast. Isn't that a shame? It is. So, I'm, I'm actively excited to draft this set on Arena, and I, I think I've decided that the traditional drafts, best of three, with bots, is not a bad way to break in a new format. Because, like, critique aside from the bot system, when you first start doing drafts with newer players, nobody knows what the heck they're doing anyway, and it's harder to read signals. Um, I, I, I think the longevity there might be an issue, but I, I think I can have fun drafting this for a week against bots. There you go. All right, I look forward to it too. I've got like 50,000 gold sitting around, so I'll be doing the best of one drafts at least, um, and probably some sealed this week coming up. I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, let's talk about standard, because you got to play a ton of standard this week. I did participate in uh, some ladder play as well as the kind of play anything event, which I thought was really cool. I really like that. Like, you know, I don't have a ton of wild cards sitting around, so it was nice to be able to try out uh, this flash deck before I bought into it. Um, and before I bought into it in paper, because I got to play 12 games with it and, um, you know, make some mistakes and learn stuff in a pretty low, kind of low stress environment. So I thought it was really cool. Did you get a chance to do that at all? I didn't do that one. I was so focused on prepping for this tournament. Um, and I actually do want to give a little tournament report, uh, such as it is. But I was so focused on prepping for that, that once I logged in, I didn't do anything else. I mean, that's totally fair. So let's just dive right in then. Give us your tournament report. Okay, so I was pretty sure I was going to play the Esper Stack stack that Gottlieb won the first fandom tournament with because it looked like a lot of fun. It had good game against a lot of things. I played with it. I was like, this deck is pretty good. And then somebody in my chat pointed me to a deck that Crokies had been toying around with, which was Golgari Explorer. And it was playing Edgewall Innkeeper, um, Lucky Clover, and every Black Green Explore creature you could possibly imagine. And I looked at it and I was like, there's a ton of value there. And they were like, yeah, the only problem is it really folds to aggro. Like, you've got a terrible matchup versus anything aggressive. So I tried the deck out and I played it. And then I looked at the lists we had from the last fandom event. And I was like, how many of these were actually aggro? And it was only one of the 16 decks that you would say is definitely aggro. And a second that you could say is aggro adjacent. And then there were some that were looking to to curve out, but not necessarily aggressively. And I'm like... If we're looking at like one out of eight decks that's actually an aggro deck, I think I'm pretty okay just accepting that those are bad matchups for me. And after playing with the deck some, it generates absurd value. It's really good against a lot of different decks. I don't think it's 100% tuned yet, uh, but Lord Tupperware played a very similar list and finished third in this tournament. So like, I think there's something to this. Now, when I sat down and saw the decks for today, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, we got two aggro decks. But there's good news. All I have to do is dodge one of them. This will be fine. So Nasif is on aggro and Alex Hain is on aggro. Guess who my two first matchups were? 
<laughs> which is unfortunate. Which which is, and in one of them, like, I mean, it's magic, it happens, but I kept a two-lander um, on the play. Uh, I go, you know, forest, Nasif goes, land uh, the, the one-two vampire guy that you have to kill. I'm like, cool, swamp, legions, end it, and see that he has no lands. Like, cool. He got to five before I got to three. So, like... Sometimes there's just some variance there, but I, I honestly feel like if I dodged either of those two decks, I would have had a shot at it. And it it was it really kind of lit a fire in me again to want to play competitively. Like it probably sounds weird to say I went o two in a big tournament and had a great time, but I really did. It was fun to be playing with some big stakes on the line and have something other than you know just get mythic be the end goal. I guess it was a short term goal that I could see win these five games, get a prize instead of, you know, grind for the month. And I enjoyed that aspect. So I I had a really good time. I enjoyed the tournament. I'm very appreciative to fandom for putting that on. They didn't have to, right, just for the casters, but it was kind of a a stacked field, right? Like it's me and Ethan versus Shahar Shinhar, Brian Gottlieb, Alex Hain, Carlos Ramal, Siggy, and Nasif. And I was like, good Lord, you're going to throw me in this? cool that's like they've all like done like one casting event like they couldn't get like saffron olive and people that have done multiples like it's like well alex has actually cast a few and siggy has I, cast a few but I like i know but you know what i mean right like yeah at the end they were like we'll have to fill this out with and i believe they said in the discord some other people and i was like sure and those other people just happened to be you know hall of famers and mpl members i was like that's pretty awesome <laughs> i mean at least you got to rub shoulders with them yeah, that's never a bad thing either. Like, just getting to play Magic against Nasif and Hain is always a pleasure. And like I said, it it really kind of lit something in me. Like, I was thinking, you know, okay, we'll get through this release, and then I probably won't play a whole lot of Magic until I can do the, the Eldraine drafts. But I'm kind of interested to work on more iterations of this deck. Because I think there's something here. Interesting. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the deck? Sure, sure. Let's okay, dive in. So, so let's talk about it. So, you're mentioning that you're accruing value off of off of adventures. So maybe people like me that I've only played adventures in limited, um, you know, a little bit in sealed, a little bit in two at a giant. How how does that compare to what you're doing with the, with these in stand in in standard in this deck? Like, obviously you're going to accrue value, but isn't is it too slow? Like, how do you? get over that barrier of like cards have to be this good to be able to play in standard because you know coming from limited right you know you just play anything most of the time well i i think it starts with some of these cards are this good and are okay just playing like murderous riders obviously a four of and that card's just busted and absurd and every deck that can cast it is going to play it right the the falmir knight is probably close to good enough as is the lovestruck beast so, like, a 1-mana one 1-1 one, one Death Touch blocks a lot of things against decks that are trying to attack you on the ground. If a deck isn't pressuring your life total, being able to kind of cycle this card for free and then play it again is just fine. Lovestruck Beast kind of hits the same thing. Like, the deck is naturally playing a lot of 1-1s one, in the Edgewall Innkeeper in the Night, for example. Um, so And having a 5-5 five, five, five blocker on turn 3 is pretty dang stable. Like, not many aggressive decks can attack into that. But the real magic of it starts when you're able to get uh, a Lucky Clover in play. Ideally, you can get an Innkeeper in play. But I've had scenarios where I had a lucky two Lucky Clovers in play and then drew a Murderous Rider. It's like, 
okay, I'll just kill your Planeswalker and your two creatures and attack with my two Beanstalk Giants, you're dead. If you happen to have two Lucky Clovers in play, three, uh, four mana and two Beanstalk Giants, you can cast both of them. Actually, you only need three mana. I did that today. Like, that Lucky Clover duplicating these spells is ridiculous. And, like, that's where all of the value is coming from. You really need to have an Innkeeper or a Clover in play for it to go off, but it can still hold its own without those cards. Okay, interesting. So, like, a typical, like, hand you're looking to, like, sneep snap keep is like an innkeeper a clover and like a beanstalk giant on three or the the love struck beast on three kind of thing oh yeah that that's that's a snap keep it i'm like your ideal yeah i'm happy to have either an innkeeper or a clover and if you get both it's just like they have to interact with this i had people while I, i i did like i don't know about an hour and a half stream before the tournament started and played on the ladder with this a little bit and I had people who apparently understood what my deck was doing that would Oko and turn my Lucky Clovers into 3-3s. Three and I was like, okay, they understand what this deck is trying to do and how they beat it. Uh, they they okay. still didn't, but... But still. Yeah. Okay. Um, now... What are you what are you running for for lands? Like what does your land package look like? Because we talked about this before is like the the mana bases coming into the standard are going to be you know, we we speculated are gonna are they gonna be terrible? Like are there we gonna see a bunch of three color decks that aren't running, you know, the the planeswalker filtering lands. Um how, how did your mana base shake out compared to the mana bases of your opponents? Like was it a big deal? Did you find it too slow? Good enough? Um are you playing the the rare evolving wilds? How did that look? So the the one that I built runs 24 lands. Um, Ethan's deck also ran 24 lands. And I want to talk about a difference in his that I think does make it better and is probably a better starting point. He got a little bit more technology in this than I did. Um, but one, like the mana was absolutely fine. I ended up running eight forests and six swamps. You need plenty of basics to go get with the Beanstalk Giants. Uh, I played one Castle Lockthwain, uh, which was good. I activated, was happy with it. Four Overgrown Tombs, Four Temples of Milady, And I ended up playing one of the Fabled Passages. Um, the original list had three. I, I felt like I didn't need that many. Ethan ended up playing four. So, like, exactly how many of those you're supposed to be playing is entirely up for debate. But the mana never felt bad. It, it felt bad in the sense that sometimes I didn't get enough, like I got stuck on two. But it never felt like I was hurting for colors. And in playing it all day the day before, it didn't feel like I was hurting for colors. But he was playing three colors. He was playing Jund, wasn't he? Did they call this a Jund deck? I don't think it's fair to call this a Jund deck. Well, he was playing red. Yes. For, like, so so I can understand the four uh, Fabled Passages or whatever it was, right? That what it, That's what it is? The Evolving Wild? Is that what it's called? Yes. And and he was playing for the, uh, I don't remember the name, but it's the, the giant, the rare giant with Bone the crusher. shark. Yeah. Bone Crusher giant. So two mana, two damage to anything. Damage can't be re- prevented, which is great. Where were you? in the um, Nexus of Fate team of reclama- or reclamation days. <laughs> yeah. Wilderness reclamation days. Um, and then comes down as a 4-3. Like, that's just that's just a control beater right there. It's an anything um, beater. It, I, it, I, it, is, I, it is pretty good. I think it's what this deck needed to push it over the edge because there were some flex spots that didn't seem to make sense to me. Uh, it was playing three copies of the Great Hinge and three copies of the hard-to-cast Vivian, and they just never really did anything. So I took out the Vivians for Vraska and pulled it down to two hinges and said, this is this is something I can work with for the tournament. Whereas Ethan cut all of that nonsense and made room for four Bonecrusher Giants. And I was like, okay, this actually makes a lot of sense. And the mana doesn't look that bad. Like he's playing two mountains, 
uh, one Stomping Ground, one Blood Crypt, and the four Passages. So his deck will be a little bit slower, but just getting access to those Giants, I think, is a huge deal. I mean, imagine doing that with a Clover. That's a two-mana Lava Coil, like, and then later you can just cast the darn thing, and you could spread it out. Like, this deck just looks great. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a question and I lost it. Oh, is his deck playing the Lucky Clover? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's the, it's the exact same deck otherwise. So the list okay. is identical, except remove the four Vraskas um, and the two Great Hinges. And then he played the Bone Crusher Giants and three copies of Once Upon a Time to my one copy of Once Upon a Time. I also had two Find and Finalities in there, and he cut those. Okay, interesting. Um, great Hinge. A little bit of a sidetrack here, but... I don't I don't understand why people are so excited about the Great Hinge. Can you maybe clue me in on that one? Cuz like people were talking about animating it and making these like making it ridiculous. Is that really all that they're talking about? So the thing I've seen done with it so far was uh rotting Regisaur on turn 3 into turn 4 Hinge. Like when that works, it's pretty absurd uh and it gives your deck like card draw index that really aren't supposed to have it, but I I don't think it's actually that good. Okay. I, I, that's that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like it felt too, not combo-y, but too reliant on having a, a really good draw in order to kind of explode, mm-hmm. and and it felt like it was going to get punished by. It. But I just I just didn't understand. Like there's all these people talking about you know flinging their great hinges and things like that, and it's like I don't like I'm trying to picture what that deck deck looks like without seeing a deck list, and I, I'm struggling to come up with anything. I was just curious if you'd you'd run into it because I haven't seen it cast against me yet. We um, we saw um, Shahar Shinhar and um, Huey played Golgari mid fringe, if you will, in the Casters. No, not the Casters Cup. The first fandom tournament, and like it was a list that made sense. We saw them able to cast it reliably on turn four and five, and it still wasn't good enough. So, like for me, that was kind of the. I, I don't think I want to be playing the Great Hinge moment. Um, that said, there's still a lot of tweaking to do. It's very early in the format. So like it's, it's entirely possible that'll come back. Uh, but I don't think it has a home in what I'm doing. Okay. But you think you're going to keep playing the deck, maybe add the red, call it Jund? I think so. And then you got me excited a little bit in the pregame show about maybe thinking about a blue white control shell, but like, I, there's still a lot of stuff to be discovered and worked with here. And this is a very fun time to be playing standard. Yeah, absolutely. I was looking uh, before the podcast just at the the Reddit, the subreddit uh, spikes uh, slash r slash spikes on Reddit, and um, they had a bunch of lists from the Aetherhub tournament, which they Aetherhub ran three or whatever pre-release tournaments for you know a small amount of gems, but it was like an actual tournament with a cut to top eight and things like that. And the diversity index there was really interesting to me. So there's you know some control decks, aggro decks, you know, flash decks, oko decks, food decks, all this kind of stuff. So if you're looking for inspiration, um, I would certainly seek that out and, and just click around in there. Like, obviously they're not going to be tuned because they were like day one, day two decks. Um, but you might be able to find a base in there. And the reason I mentioned, or that we talked about blue, white control is because I said that I was playing flash. I've been playing flash most of this week. Um, and once I kind of learned how to play flash again, um, I realized that I haven't seen a Teferi cast against me in like the last four days. And I was curious if that was your experience too, because it just seems that it kind of disappeared off the map entirely. And I don't know if that's because Esper, you know, lost its mana base or did, are the Esper decks playing Doom Foretold instead? They're kind of playing that like combo-y stacks version, um, you know, symmetrical effects or fair kind of thing. Or 
are they just hiding from me and I'm just not seeing them in the games that I'm playing? Is it too small of a sample size? I, I think it's it's some of, of different things, but I've seen Teferi still in Bant Ramp lists as well as in this Esper Stacks list. Um, so in the Esper list, it's a heck of a lot of fun to activate a Wish Claw Talisman, get your Doom foretold, pass the artifact over, then bounce it with Teferi and be like, I'll just, I'll Demonic Tutor again later. Um, and then bouncing a Murderous Rider in that list is obviously pretty good. This is a complicated deck to play, um, and sometimes it will just kind of fold to itself. But I, I, I really enjoyed that list and will probably be playing that some more too. Uh, and in the Bant list, it looks like you were just playing it for a value creature. So I, I think there's still Teferis out there, um, but I, I don't think either of these lists are as popular as Esper Control was back in the day. And that deck felt so powerful to me in the previous standard that I think a lot of people just crafted it. And then he also probably made it more popular by grinding with it to Mythic and showing it off and then winning all of these tournaments with it. So I, I think like if there is a meta established and Esper Stacks is a prominent deck in that or Bant Rep Ramp is a prominent deck in that, then you'll probably see more Teferis. But I imagine it's just like right now there's 10 different decks to play and that'll probably shrink down to four realistic competitive ones at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it, it feels to me, again, in just my just my sample size and kind of what I'm watching on streams and stuff, is that I think the Simic Flash deck is the only deck playing counterspells these days. It's like everybody's afraid of the Teferi and what it does to your counterspells, but Teferi's not really there. So Simic Flash has like kind of got his head in the door, just kind of like, hey, is it safe to come out now? Um, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to play it for the next couple of weeks here. I'm going to probably get the, the parts and paper because I think, like, at least in my experience, it seemed like it was in a pretty good spot as long as it can beat you know, the regular meta decks. It doesn't seem to have to worry about Teferi right now, and even then it can still deal with the Teferi. So, um, but, but it's interesting because th- we have a control deck that's not really a traditional control deck and that it's not playing, like, Drago the same way that it used to. I guess maybe Drago is not really a thing, except in this in the Simic Flash version. Um, t- talk to me a little bit about the, the, the Stacks deck, so the, the Doom Foretold deck, because I think a lot of people that maybe started playing Magic recently with Arena, they're not going to know what Stacks is referring to and and what what the play pattern of this deck is because i think if you haven't seen the deck before it's going to be challenging to play against and you're going to want to play one way thinking that you're just you know you're doing the right thing because you're you're trying to get ahead of the doom foretold deck when in reality it probably feels like in a lot of cases you want to just let it happen and be behind it and then try to get your advantage back somehow um what what's what's the deck doing and what's the way to kind of get underneath it or go over top of it so the the name comes from a very old card called Smokestacks, which more or less was an artifact that said each turn everybody has to sacrifice something. It's a little more complicated than that, but people would build decks around this card where they had a bunch of stuff to sacrifice and they hoped that their opponent had less so that they would be able to accrue advantage over that. And that's more or less what this deck is trying to do with Doom Foretold. It's also taking advantage of the fact that Doom Foretold will not let you sacrifice tokens. So even if somebody has a bunch of creature tokens or food tokens, you could still nab a Planeswalker with it. So the general play pattern with this deck is to try to keep the board clear with several of the board wipes that are in here. We've seen versions playing as many as um, six main deck Wraths. Uh, and then accrue value with enchantments. They're playing Golden Egg and Gilded Globe. 
basically to cycle, but also to help fix the mana, which is one of the reasons I don't think we've seen traditional Esper decks. Again, is like the mana's not great, but if you're able to cheat with Gilded Globes and Golden Eggs, then that kind of works. And just generate all of these artifacts that you've kind of gotten your value out of, but they're still sitting here, and then that's what you're able to sacrifice. So it's kind of like a keep the board clear, keep everything stable, and then accrue value with Doom Foretold. And then eventually, when you hit 8 mana, you cast Dance of the Mance for 6, bring back all of these artifacts that you've sacked, all of these enchantments that you've, you know, have gone to your graveyard, including like Oath of Kaya, Doom Foretolds that have already popped off. They're all 4-4s and you're able to kill your opponent with them in short order. Um, Generally speaking, if they play a Doom Foretold, you probably need to just let that go off and not try to get ahead of it. uh, Because they're going to have more stuff to sacrifice than you. They've put things in their deck specifically to sacrifice to this. Uh, So generally I would be okay with that. And then just like you'll need to play around Wraths and pay attention to their mana. I beat somebody on stream when I had an island in play and they way overcommitted not noticing that I had a golden egg sitting off on the side. So I just untapped and wrathed. Like it wasn't a problem to play the Kaya's Wrath. Whereas in previous formats, you're like, oh, the Esper deck doesn't have white, white, black, black. I'm good to go. Pay pay attention to those artifacts and what they actually do. Um, so like that, that was my experience so far. The deck can fold to itself if it doesn't hit enough lands. And I think people are still trying to figure out how many they're supposed to play with all these cantrips. Because I've seen versions from 24 to 26 and I'm still not exactly sure what's perfect there. Okay, yeah, that that deck was super interesting to me. I'm I'm surprised that it it seem it, it plays as complicated as it does because it seems pretty straightforward when you describe it and when you sit down and you look at it. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I guess you're sequencing. When do you wrath? When do you doom foretold? When do you go for the mance? What do you sacrifice? What order do you play your things in? I think a lot of those things come into play. So it looks like a really interesting deck. Um, and I'm gonna see if I can get the pieces for it when I'm opening my sealed packs and opening doom foretolds. In limited, in which case I I don't want to play them, but hey, that's how limited goes sometimes. I mean, it almost sold me on the idea that if you were already black-white, it might be reasonable. Like, I'm not saying it'd be great, but there's times where an edict is just fine, right? And that's essentially what this is. Like, worst case scenario, you play it, your opponent sacrifices something, you sacrifice it. Done. Do you know how much it took to get you to play, like a two mana instant speed edict sometimes in limited yeah i didn't want to do it and i'm not saying you should want to do it here i'm just saying it's not a catastrophe if you put it in a deck hey no it's not and as slow as this format is maybe 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 Maybe. Probably not. I mean, all these people, all these all these adventure creatures that already got their value are now being sacrificed to a Doom Foretold. Yeah, that sounds that pretty That is also terrible. sacrificing things on the other side of the table because you're not going to get four golden eggs to put in your deck, in your black-white control deck in Limited. Yeah, it's probably Instead not Instead of happening. playing Knights. Yeah, okay, fine. I don't, don't play it. I'm <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. Anyway. Okay, so have you seen any other cool decks? Like, what else did you did we see in fandom um, that that was interesting to you? Like, uh, what do the aggro decks look like? Like the the two you played against today were mono black, right? They were. They were also very different builds, which uh, surprised me when I saw them both listed as the same thing. I was like, okay, cool. I know what these decks do, and then I was like, no, these are not actually doing the same thing at all. Uh, so Nasif played one that's just hyper-aggressive with three Footlight Fiends, four Gutter Bones, four Knight of the Evan Legion, and he's playing a Priest of the Forgotten Gods, four, four Pack, and four Lazotep Reavers. So this deck was just like, 
mono black, sacrifice your stuff, clear the way, attack you to death. The top end was uh, two rankles and four spawns of mayhem. The deck only has 21 lands, four of which are a castle Lockthwain. The only spells in it are three drill bits, which is not entirely true because there's also um, murderous riders. So like that's one direction you could go. The one that Hain was playing was also a mono black aggro deck, uh, but in his, uh, he's actually got removal spells in the form of one disfigure and two legions in the three drill bits. He's still playing the gutter bones, but he took out the priest package and instead has Yarok's fin lurker, uh, which you'll be interested to know doesn't actually target anyone. If you're curious, not that I know a guy, but if you're holding up the the green spell that can you know give you hex proof, it wouldn't do anything against this. If you were wondering, no, it does draw you a card though. It does. Uh, and three Ayara first of Lockthwain. Black, 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 two, three, when it or another creature enters the battlefield, drain, sacrifice a black creature, draw a card. So, like, they were both going on this, like, aggro you out initially and then value you out. Um, Hain was also running four rankles, uh, which, let me tell you, is quite the card in standard. So, like, there's two very aggressive decks you can build here. Um, it, it's all it's running 24 lands instead of 21. Uh, still four of Lockthwain's. So, like, if you're looking for an early deck to build as you're playing... These aren't bad because you've probably got the Knights of the Ebon Legions and the Gutter Bones already from playing before. You're going to have to pony up for the Rankles and the Castle Lockthwains, but you won't need many of the other lands. He had yeah, four Dreadhorde is... invasions too, by the way, and those were amazing for him. Well, I imagine because he can sacrifice those to uh, to get value. So they, they drain and then get sacked for value. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm picking up with that, what he's putting down on that one. Yeah. Man, it's he always comes with a neat twist on on a on a deck that's that's in the meta right like he comes with a i've seen him do this multiple times where he just throws it like i think mono blue he had his own twist on um you know this deck he's he always has something interesting that's just a little different to attack the meta just a little differently and i'm always watching these people play in these tournaments against them and they, it seems like they don't have a sideboard plan for it because they plan for the stock version of the deck right mm-hmm. like you mentioned like you looked at it and it's just like oh it's the same deck when it's not you know, the same Obviously, deck. it isn't. It's attacking you on different angles. That's so neat. I'm going to have to just study his decks, I think. Maybe that'll make me a better deck builder. Try to get in the, in the insane mind of Alexander Hain. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then, what ended up winning the tournament today? Uh, the tournament today, I don't actually know. Oh, Gottlieb won it again with Bant Ralp. Uh, and he won of the course. previous tournament with uh, the Esper Stack stack. So this is a deck with four Teferi, four Realm Cloak Giants, uh, and they're calling it Bant Ramped, but it's playing Golos. Like, lot of solid value cards here. So it's looking to, you know, build a bunch of zombies, uh, wrath the board, then play a 7-7. Seven, seven. Uh, it's, it's basically just a Golos deck. Oh, God, that wrath is going to be annoying, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and it's got a great animation where this giant hand just comes over and smacks everything. Just sweeps it off the battlefield. Mm-hmm. I think that's just that's just standard for me. Is that there's always a wrath, or there, and and there's always a control finisher in that deck, and now they're in the same card. Mm-hmm. And it's got mm-hmm. four of Hydroid Crisis too, which is a card I like. It's a very slow mana base, um, and it's playing things like and is it Guildgate that doesn't actually really tap for anything other than blue in this deck. But that's okay. You got to enable your your Golos and your. Uh, Fields of the Dead. Field of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that Field of the Dead is still around. I was really hoping that it wouldn't be when Scapeshift disappeared, but um, it, it seems that it will continue to be the bane of my existence. 
it's a hard to deal with card. It's a really hard to deal with card. And I'm I'm not sure what you can do to beat it other than having access to something like Unmoored Ego or just play a play a deck that has this in it as well. Yeah. I don't even know. Man. Okay. So I have to complain about this. And this is just me trying to play by my own rules. I'm a scrub sometimes. But it's like, I'm like, I'm going to play Team or Elementals in the next standard. It's going to be fun. It might not be the best, but it'll win some games. And then you get out there, and there's like 19 Tier 1 meta decks, and none of them are Team or Elementals. And I have the feeling that like maybe Simic Flash might go that way too. So I'm kind of like, I'm like always like three or four decks behind, and it bothers me. So I think I'm just going to have to suck it up one day and just like dump a bunch of money and some wild cards, buy a Tier 1 deck, and ride it all the way to plat one let's go <laughs> i i don't know i'm feeling pumped right now to go get mythic we'll see like how many ladder games it takes for me to be like yeah we're gonna play something else for the afternoon but right now i'm I'm interested in playing more competitive magic and you're right the, the the hot deck of the week is certainly something that changes but this is nothing new we've been seeing you know various shells with golos in it for a long time and what mm-hmm. interested me here is this deck really isn't playing any of the new cards Right, like I think the only new card it had in it, other than lands, was Once Upon a Time. Let's talk about Once Upon a Time. Okay, what's your take on this card in Standard? I, like you had one of in your deck. Would you play more? Would you have played more? I'm playing four in the in the Flash deck, and it, I, I think it's good. I think it makes like it, it smooths out your draws. Right, like if if you're flooding, you'll find a permanent. Like if if you have a land heavy opening hand, you'll find a permanent uh, or sorry a creature. Um, if you are short on mana, you know, you'll find a land instead. Like it feels super flexible in that first spot. Um, and then later on in the game, it's just drawing you a card in the flash deck anyway, when you would be not doing anything else potentially, but like, am I not playing it correctly? I'm not really sure this is a card that I've never really had any experience with or any cards like it. So I'm not really sure what I should be doing with this card in my decks. It plays a lot like Impulse, as long as you're playing a deck that has creatures or lands, which is going to be a lot of your your standard decks. So, like, generally speaking with Impulse, you wanted to hold up other things you could cast at instant speed, and then if you didn't need them, play Impulse and go find another card. That's a very old blue card. It's one in a blue for an instant. I think it was look at four, pick one. I can't remember. And the rest went somewhere. Doesn't matter. We don't have that anymore. There were basically two schools of thought on this card initially. One was, if you're going to play it, play four of them so that you're going to get to cast one for free more often than not. The other school of thought, which Javier Dominguez, who did very well in the first tournament, by the way, and, I mean, is also just a fantastic Magic player, his thinking was, I'm going to play one of these because I'm I, that means I'm not going to draw them later, and if I ever have it in my opener, it's just a, a bonus. So his idea was like, I don't necessarily want the card selection, but I can play one and see what happens. I I wasn't sure if like every green deck is just supposed to start with a four pack of these or not. Uh, But I do think it's going to look better in a deck that's either looking for something very specific, like say a Golos or a Realm Cloaked Giant, or is holding up its mana. So I think the true value of something like Once Upon a Time is if you can play the four pack and you're looking for a specific piece, I think you'll be in better shape. For me, the reason I ended up playing one is uh, this this can get creatures or land cards. It can't get artifacts. 
and kind of part of the wombo combo I was trying to do was with the clover. The other part was with the innkeeper, which this certainly can get, but I was like, if it's not going to find me all of the pieces I need to assemble a dominating board state, I'd rather just draw raw cards and put in more things that have adventure on them so that they're better when I do hit those pieces. Does that make any sense? Interesting. No, it absolutely does. And I did have those play patterns where like, I'm on six mana and I'm going to go find a thrilled mystic. Right, or I'm going to go find a Brazen Borrower and then I can cast it on turn two. But I really liked it in my opener as like, now I'm playing a 59-card deck in a way. And, and and that's kind of what it felt like when you said that um, Avier Dominguez was playing it as a one-of. It's almost like I'm going to play a 59-card deck. Yeah. Is is kind of what it that, that says to me. So it's interesting. But I don't know if it fits in the Flash deck. Like, maybe it's supposed to be a one-of in the Flash deck instead of a, a four-of. Maybe there's better options to play. Maybe I should be playing... Um, God, I was I can't even think of a card that would be better. Maybe anticipates better because I can dig for a counter spell instead of digging for, you know, a a very specific frilled mystic, which is gonna be hard to cast because I'm not gonna get to six mana all that often. So um it's interesting. Like maybe those should be ops instead. Like there's so many interesting things with this card. I'm just waiting for somebody to completely break it wide open. Because in name me a format in the history of time in which free spells have not been broken. I don't think it exists. No, it doesn't. I mean, outside of limited, like free, somebody's going to break this eventually. I'm just not a smart enough deck builder to know how they're going to do it. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be long until this happens. And maybe, um, I was watching uh, Caleb play a Phoenix deck, um, a, a red green Arclight Phoenix deck with Once Upon a Time, and he was getting Phoenixes on turn two, kind of thing. Okay, okay. So. Maybe maybe that's as far as it goes. Maybe it's not busted. Um, but I think this is a very interesting card, and it looks so like it looks so easy when you first look at it. Um, but like you said, like there's multiple ways you can build with it, and there's also multiple ways you can play it. Like, do you play it on turn one? Do you play it on turn zero? Do you play it on turn two? Like, when do you get your free spell out of it? And I think somebody better at, at standard than I could probably put together a thirty minute podcast on how to play this card correctly. I mean, it's no gush. There's not going to be a book on it, but I think it's a very interesting card, and I'm going to have to keep my eye on it. I'm going to study up on it. I'm going to learn how I'm supposed to play it and how I can take advantage of it. We will eventually be able to invite Ali back to the fandom tournaments, and when we do, I imagine there will be a deck with Golos and Once Upon a Time, and we can learn from him. That sounds great. Maybe you guys can like interview him. Do you guys? You guys should. Do you guys do that? No. I don't get to watch you guys enough. We but should. Maybe you should start doing that. We should. We should. That's a good idea. I'll pass that along. All right. Because I would love to pick the brain without actually having to talk to people. That sounds perfect. I just want free knowledge. I just want free knowledge. Okay. I'm I'm. You want free selfish. spells and free knowledge. Free spells, free knowledge, free cards. That's it. I mean, seems reasonable to me. Okay. Anything else cool and standard? I mean, we could talk about the elephant in the room. I mean, the elk in the room. Oko. Oko. Yeah, there were a lot of Simic decks doing things with Oko, and I, I thought that was interesting that Brian's list didn't play an Oko. It instead played Teferi Time Raveler. And I, I saw a lot of games where Oko on Oko action was kind of interesting with this back and forth, but I also saw some games where it didn't really do that much. And that that's one of the things that attracted me to this uh, adventure deck is like, I didn't really care if people played an Oko. Because I was it's playing a bunch of murderous riders and I had Frascas in my deck. So, like, usually it would come down and make a food or be annoying and turn one of my creatures into a 3-3. Three, three, sometimes upgrade one of theirs into a 3-3. Three, three, and then I could usually answer it immediately. 
But I, I think it's certainly a card you need to be aware of in this format, if nothing else. I think like the five mana Teferi, Oko is going to be the most hated card for the next two years. That would be my guess, yes. Because that's a lot of loyalty for three mana. Man, would it have killed them to not have it go to six loyalty on turn three? It, it, just, like, it just means there's no way to kill it, right? Like, you can't even fry it. No, and that's and that's the problem, I think. I think... I think if there was a way to fry it out of the sideboard, I think it would probably be a lot less, feel a lot less oppressive, but like, whatever. I mean, I don't care. I, I am not allowed to have standard opinions like that because I don't vote. I'm sorry. I don't play a lot of standard. Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, like, I don't play competitive standard, so I feel like I probably shouldn't complain about it, but I don't know. It just feels really oppressive to me, which is fine. I mean, we've, we've dealt with this before and standard is a, you know, powerful format compared to the formats i usually play so it is what it is but i mean it's an interesting card in that it is so powerful and you just look at it and it's like yeah i guess right um whereas like compared to like a you know five mana teferi that's like you know you look at it and you understand the power of it so i don't know well it, it we'll see it creates some interesting play patterns too because it's like in many cases with three mana planeswalkers you could be like well i have a removal spell and a two two or a two one so i'll just i'll use my removal spell that i don't really want to on their kind of garbage creature and kill it and here it's like that's not what's happening you're not going to be able to do that it's just coming down too soon for that to happen so in a way it's kind of like a planeswalker for people who are frustrated with playing their planeswalkers and not getting to play with it because, like, there's plenty of times that happens. So, like, the, the way to deal with it is just say things that say destroy target permanent or target planeswalker. And then they've got a food or they meddled with one of your dudes or grew one of theirs. Whatever, it's gone. Yeah. All right. So, the the search for a deck for David will continue, I think. I think you might kind of dig that Esper Stacks one. Like, it was just kind of fun if you happen to have the pieces laying around for it. I don't know that I'd say it's enough that you should go spend $20 to craft it or whatever, but you might want to check the list and see how close you are to it. Um, the, the the one last deck I wanted to mention was there was a Rakdos, they called it mid-range deck, because uh, it only had, you know, eight one-drops. Uh, but a couple players played this at fandom, uh, Strowski and I believe Yuza, where it's playing like Gutter Bones, Dreadhorde Butcher, Knight of the Ebon Legion, there, mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of new cards aside from the Bone Crusher Giant and the Murderous Rider. Um, so, like, I feel like that's one that could be relatively easy to put together. You may have a lot of the cards for already. And it performed relatively well as well. The, the only reason it didn't have a better showing was because Yuza was one of those people that got stuck in a sideboarding bug. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, I've run into that deck in the, the free event. I ran into that deck, or a deck very similar to that, five or six times. Close to half of my matches or half of my matches were against the Rakdos pseudo-aggro, pseudo-midrange, like whatever you want to call it. It's a Rakdos deck. Um, some of them were playing the Priests, some of them weren't. All of them were playing the Dreadhorde pack or the, the Butcher packages, and it was just really difficult to deal with. Like, sometimes you have a mana base that you play a tap land into tap land or tap land into shock land, and you're so far behind that it just doesn't even matter. Like, the game is over on turn four, and there's no catching up, so... Yeah, and this deck is not playing any tap lands, uh, which is, like, yeah. an important thing to note. And that may be a thing that, like, some decks need to work on, is, like, maybe we don't actually need the temples. Man, every time I play a temple, I'm like, man, this could have just been an untapped land. Like, it could have been 
I could have played two islands and two forests instead of these four things and just rolled the dice on which one I pulled in my opening hand. There was a case today where I, I'm trying to stabilize against the thief and I'm like, just give me a land so I could cast the fine and finality. And there was the temple of Milady. That'll be interesting. I want to see the evolution of that. Yeah, I really do because because I and, it's, and I think especially with the um, if we're going to start playing the uh, the castles mm-hmm. like in your deck, the black castle is very good. Obviously, the green the green castle is not really, um, but the and the blue one seems okay too. The one that you can scry to with it, mm-hmm. like why aren't you just playing that instead of a temple? Like yeah, you don't get the scry right away, but when you need the scry later because you can't top deck a land to stay in the game you know, you can you can start popping off those scries when they're important. Because generally speaking, you're scrying on turn one. If you're turn one on the play, you don't know what you want sometimes. Unless you need a land, or unless you don't need a land. Like, do I keep... If I'm a control deck, do I keep this counter spell on top? Do I keep... If I'm playing the flash deck, well, do I keep a two-drop, or do I, I dig for, for something better, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just better. Maybe I should be doing that. Maybe I should play the a blue castle in this mana base, cut the temples, and play the uh, the evolving wilds instead. Yeah, those those are things I'm curious about, and I I want to do some tweaking tomorrow. I'm I'm excited to go play with this deck some more. I'm not sure yet whether I want to add the red or try to streamline it, but it, it'll be interesting to find out. Okay, and I know I'm never going to convince you of this, but I'm going to try once again. Can you pretty please like track your your data? And share it with me, <laughs> pretty please. How would I do this? I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'll, I'll figure out some way that we can do that because I, and and maybe we can get like maybe we can look at at other people like that are playing standard to to help us out with this or or at least help me out with this. But like I don't play enough and I thrive on data, right? So I'm looking for a good source of you know I played a hundred games with this deck. Here's how it performed. I made this tweak. I played another twenty games. Here's what the changes were. And this is probably just because like I lack a consistent group to play with, and maybe that's something that I need to go out and search for. But you know, I'm really looking for interesting points of data and you know how do like change how does changing the, the the mana base how does it feel how does it end up playing like how many games do we need for for a good sample size and it's it's interesting because like a lot of people do this for limited and you can see a lot of people share their results on, on limited and things like that like you know i'm 60 percent with white based x and 40 percent with black based x like obviously black sucks but i don't have anybody to go to for that for for standard and I think if I'm going to start playing it more in standard, I think I'm going to start tracking my stats a little bit better or find something to do that. I know there's like plugins and apps out there that can do that. I just don't know the best way to approach it. But, you know, what, what's the saying? It's like the difference between science and screwing around is is the act of writing it down. So, well, I've, I've maybe got I can this. convince you to do that. I've got this fancy program in beta uh, called Notepad. And oh my God, learn Excel, please. Just learn google docs go into google docs open up a drive or a, it, 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 a sheet i i can google docs i can google docs it wouldn't no, kill me you can't do... yes i can prove it okay challenge accepted i i wrote See, i wrote track data question mark now i have just track data and i'm erasing the question mark that see i'm in your head now i, I figured it out mm-hmm. you just all i have to do is say that you can't do something and you'll do it yep that's how i work Man, Travis, you can't play sealed. I told you I'll play sealed on Monday. Okay. Man, Travis, you can't trap you can't you can't track your data. Man, Travis, you can't send David fifty dollar bills in the mail. Huh. 
I, b- I bet you they would get stopped at the border. That's like 5,000 Canadian. You could buy a car. Dude. I need... I Actually, I need to buy snowshoes this week. Yeah, apparently. I was like yeah. almost 90 degrees in human temperature here. It's really hot. Mm-hmm. Did you know that it snowed a foot and a half here today? You had mentioned that earlier. I'm pretty sure okay. if you were in D.C. today, you'd have caught on fire. Okay, that's fair. Anyway, so you're going to track data, mm-hmm. and you're going to play some sealed next week. Yes. Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. I will, too. And then you're going to send me $50 bills in the mail. Yes. Because you can't. Exactly. I'm pretty sure it's illegal to send me $50 bills in the mail. Okay. So where can they catch you doing all of these things next week? If you want to watch me lighting $50 on fire, stop by twitch.tv slash simulin, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And I am at twitch.tv slash dcivilian, that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. And I'm on Twitter the same. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at arena underscore athletes. Come check us out there. Once again, thanks to Face to Face Games for the support and the host. We'll catch you next time. Adios.